Great news. There's a quick way you can save money. Switch to GEICO. GEICO could help you get great coverage at a great price. And it only takes 15 minutes to see if you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Go to GEICO.com today and see how much you could save. Welcome into The Jump. I'm Rachel Nichols alongside our senior writer, Zach Lowe, NBA champ, Kendrick Perkins. And we are thrilled, as always, to have Malika Andrews joining us from the NBA bubble at Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. (laughs) Now, coming up, the Pacers fired their head coach, Nate McMillan, today after the Pacers were swept by the Heat in the first round and just about 14 days after they gave him an extension. Was McMillan's firing fair? We will discuss that. But first... With Game 1 of the Eastern Conference semifinals between the Celtics and Raptors just over 24 hours away from its scheduled tip, the possibility of players boycotting the game continues to remain on the table for both teams. After police in Wisconsin shot Jacob Blake, a black man, in the back multiple times at point-blank range. Both teams spoke this morning, and we'll start with Toronto coach Nick Nurse, who had this to say about where the playoffs and his team are at. They have meeting last night um it is a player-led thing that that uh i'm here to listen help facilitate if there is any leadership thoughts i can provide i try to provide them but but mostly just listening i don't think i could probably put a percentage on it or anything mike i think that again it's it's ongoing discussions i think it is on the table um you know there's some other ideas on the table as well Now, players from both teams had a players-only meeting on Tuesday to discuss the possibility of a boycott, and they're planning on meeting again Wednesday night to further discuss the matter. Pascal Siakam said this. We came here for a reason and, and, uh, you know, using our platform and and wanting to um, send a message and and, and hopefully bring awareness and... and, and Now, on the Boston side, we heard Jason Tatum share his feelings about continuing to play in the bubble, saying, quote, being a black man in America is more important than what I'm doing out here on a basketball court. Using my platform to use my voice to help create conversations and engage change is more important than anything I can do out there. Tatum continued. He said, you think about a man getting shot in his back seven times with his kids in the car. That is way more important than anything I can do out here on the floor. Now, both teams are staying in the same hotel in addition to preparing for the potential start of their playoff series on Thursday night. So Malika, what are players wanting to see as a result from a boycott? As they are talking about this, what do they want to happen? Well, Rachel, that's one of the things that players, I'm told, are still trying to figure out, right? But really, the idea of a boycott has gotten a lot of attention because, one, it was one of the specific things that Fred Van Vliet and subsequently other players mentioned. But really, there are a lot of options on the table. And to me, the idea of boycotting, it's really a a, a microcosm of how these players are feeling. Because what they are feeling is this. They have knelt. They have worn Black Lives Matter t-shirts. When they were home, they were out in the streets protesting with people in their communities. They have posted on social media. There are players that are organizing initiatives to vote. And all of that, they weren't expecting things to change overnight, but they are not seeing change in the way that they were hoping to. And seeing this again, even though there are these shootings by police more than are caught on camera, seeing it happen again and go viral again is reiterating to them that perhaps what they're doing right now isn't 
enough. And so the question they are trying to answer is what is bigger that we can do? And boycotting is one of those things that's bigger. The question though is for them right now that they are trying to figure out is what would we use that time to do instead? Is that going to be the most productive way to affect change? Because that is what this is about, figuring out how they can move that needle forward. And if they are not going to play basketball games, what would they be doing to continue to push that? And, and Malika, to follow your point, you're right. And that's the thing that I was wondering and questioning is what is the plan after boycotting? Listen, we all are going through something right now dealing with what we're going through in America for us in social justice. And I commend and I applaud the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics were trying to make a stand and saying that they're willing to boycott games. Mm. Now, the thing is, is that we can't change racism, right? These things have been happening through, to the African-American community for over 400 years plus, and it's going to continue to happen. The things that we could control is the system. How do we control the system? By voting, by you know, by reaching out. So to me, I think the threat of boycotting gets the owner's attention. Mm -hmm. And now the owners, and, and I know in, in PAGs and, and, and Wick Grossback from the Boston Celtics, are now, they, they have their antennas up, and I'm pretty sure knowing those guys and how great of a guy those people those people are, they're going to reach out to their franchise guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and have this conversation and say, well, how can we help? And how can you help is by reaching out to the resources that you have, the people that are governors, that are senators, people that are a part of Congress and the White House to help change. So I applaud them for wanting to make a, a stance and boycotting, but just the threat alone raise eyebrows and make awareness even to an upper level. Well, Perk is right. I mean, let's be frank. There are owners in the NBA who haven't done nearly enough on this issue or any other issues of social justice. And they have enormous resources and a boycott is one way players can leverage the owners into using their resources for good. But on a broader human level, you know, how can you listen to Doc Rivers and George Hill and Fred Van Vliet and Jason Tatum talk about what happened in Wisconsin and not understand why some of them would want to be home with their families, why some of them would want to be home in their communities. And I think it's, it's necessary and it's important that players keep the spotlight on this stuff, that we keep the spotlight on this stuff, that we make the discussion about the underlying issues and not what happens on the court or what doesn't happen on the court. And whatever ways that players feel like they need to react on a personal human level, that has to be okay. And they, they can do whatever they want. And, and as far as I'm concerned, like, Good on them for keeping this in the discussion. Good on them for using the leverage that they have. And it's heartbreaking to listen to how helpless they feel. It's heartbreaking to listen to how powerless they feel and how scared they feel. And I, on a human level, I just I don't know what else to say. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny, Malika, I've had people say to me, oh, come on, they're staying at a hotel, they're earning millions of dollars, they're playing basketball. I don't yeah. think people really understand what it feels like. All the things you would normally do when facing any kind of trauma be with your family, be with the people you love who make you feel better. Go out for a long run. Guess what? You can't do that. Right. The, the hotel where these guys are staying, the longest run is about a mile around the parking lot. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we all use as coping mechanisms to deal with something this significant. Talk to people who are like-minded. Figure out what you can do. Go out and physically do something. We just saw a tweet from Jalen Brown saying, I want to go protest. 
He cannot go do that right now yeah. from inside the bubble. So they're in such an extremely unique environment. What have you heard about just how constricted they feel right now? And some players saying, look, yeah. whether we boycott or not, I just want to go home because they do have that option. They don't have to sneak out. They can walk out the door anytime they want, correct? Right. That, I mean, that's exactly right. They can choose to do that and they may still choose to do that. Right. I asked Jason Tatum, what feels different now to you? Does it feel more constrained being here now than it did a couple of months ago with George Floyd? And that isn't to compare tragedy to tragedy. That is just to talk about what they can do, what they feel they can do here versus what they were able to do. And he said exactly what you said. There, I was with my community. I was with my family. I had this ability to go out and feel like I was doing something. And in here, I feel a little bit trapped. And and you mentioned all of the privileges that they have in this bubble. And they're not denying that. There is more access to testing here than anywhere in the world. And by the way, coronavirus is disproportionately affecting black and brown mm -hmm. communities. That is not lost on these players. That being said, all of the privileges they have in here, there is some survivor's guilt that goes with that, Rach. Mm -hmm. There is a feeling of, I have so much, what can I do to help? Instead of just saying, well, I'm good in my ivory tower, they're looking back and saying, well, on the one hand, it's kind of become a tagline. I'm human too. I'm not just a basketball player, but it's also true because in this case, they are feeling that I am a basketball player. I do have the choice to turn the other way if I want to potentially, as long as I am within these confines and not out on the street scene as just another black man. But while I am in here, I am feeling that guilt and I need to be able to figure out how to deal with that, how to help people, how to do something about it. And so that is adding another layer to what they are feeling without being able to protest, without being able to go home and see their loved ones go on a run and cope outside of the bubble. I think that's such important context because I hear people just not getting it. And what these guys are feeling and going through is so real. Malika, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. As we go to break here, Zach referenced it. I do want to play the sound from Doc Rivers after the game last night. He's addressing the shooting of Jacob Blake and just so emotional. Listen to his voice. This is a man who had people burn down his house because he was married to a white woman. He has been through so much over the years, and here he is watching it again. Take a listen. It's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color. We're the ones that need to be scared. We're the ones having to talk every, to every black child. What white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over? It's, it's just ridiculous. And it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Breonna Taylor, no thing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. That's all we're asking for everybody, for everyone. Geico presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh-huh. 
What else? I look in the mirror and <laughs> I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire, but with Geico, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. Welcome back to The Jump. This year, it's been so hard, so ridiculous. We've turned it into something as a joke, right, as a way to cope. 2020, am I right? Come see this meme I just got off. But just because we are all figuring out ways to fight our way through doesn't mean it's not taking its toll. And for Paul George, this past week or so, the toll has been all too heavy and too real. Paul revealed last night that he has been in, quote, a very dark place, dealing with anxiety and depression, feeling trapped in the monotony and distance of the NBA bubble. PG found himself getting into his own head, and the worst he felt, the worse he played. Usually the advice for that would be to just get away from basketball for a while, except, um, bubble. Paul not only couldn't get away from basketball, he couldn't even get away from the Dallas Mavericks because, of course, they're in the bubble, too. And he couldn't spend a day just clearing his head by letting his young kids climb all over him. In fact, the only way for him to connect with his family was by picking up his phone, a phone full of social media posts about how terrible he was. Same for when he turned on his TV. And he was playing badly, like historically badly, in games two, three, and four of this series. Paul had scored just 34 points, total, over three games, shooting less than 25% from the floor in each game. No regular rotation player had shot that poorly in a stretch in the past 60 years. Here he is explaining. Underestimated mental health, honestly. Um, I had anxiety, um, a little bit of depression, uh, just being locked in here and, um, you know, just I just wasn't there. I checked out, and it was you know, games two, three, four. I I wasn't there. I felt like I wasn't there. Um, but you know, shout out to the people that was in my corner and the people that gave me the words. Um, shout out Laura. Um, you know, they helped big time. They helped get me right, put me back in great spirits. Um, I can't thank them enough. The people who reached out included family, friends, former NBA players, the Clippers team psychiatrist, and then there was Doc Rivers. Honestly, if all Rivers did was coach basketball, he'd still be one of the best coaches in the league right now. But the reason he's among the very best in the history of the game is his ability to manage things off court in times of crisis. Six years ago, it was Doc who shepherded the Clippers through the Donald Sterling situation. And last night in his post-game press conference, it was Doc again who spoke for the entire NBA, giving a powerful sermon on the Jacob Blake shooting and what it feels like right now being black in America. Hearing Doc talk can just be so cathartic, and it's that same empathy that he provided Paul George between games four and five, sitting Paul down for a long heart-to-heart. Here's Doc describing it, and, and Montrose Harrell, too. This is not a normal environment, um, okay? It just isn't. PG and I sit in the room, in my room, after the game, and we just had a long talk. Um, not all about basketball, really. Um, and, you know, several players did it. Guys were knocking on his door. So we just wanted to kind of just get him out of that, man. Just get him out of the room, just play video games, just constantly be around him to show him that we here with him. And I think that did a great job for him because he went out and played carefree basketball. 
Indeed, he did. Paul looked like a totally different player in Game 5. Engaged, confident, and lethal. He hit 12 of his 18 shots. He was 4 of 8 from 3. And he did it all so fast, he made history again, this time in the positive direction, becoming the only player to score 35 points in 25 minutes or less in a playoff game since the shot clock era started back in 1954. By the time the night was over, the Clippers had a 154-111 to win over Dallas, a franchise record for the most points ever scored in a playoff game, and a 3-2 edge in this series. So is everything just fixed now for Paul George? No, the human brain doesn't really work that way. But now, at least PG knows he's not alone, and that if he falls into a bad place again, he also knows that he can come out of it. Honestly, in 2020, that's probably the best any of us can hope for. So, Perk, given all of that, I, I want to bring you back in on Paul George here. Do you feel like he turned a corner last night, just in terms of his rhythm and play during the game? Well, he did, Rachel, but it, it, what, me watching the game, I didn't see the emotions. Like, yes, he had a, a monster game when you look up. He had 35 points, and, you know, he was that prolific scorer that we all know known Paul George to be in that star. But I didn't see the emotions. And then listening to his post-game interview, I still didn't feel the emotions. I kind of felt bad for him in a way because listening to him talk and for him to say, that he was in a dark place and that his family and friends had to reach out to him. And him and Doc Rivers had to have a, a conversation one-on-one in, in the room together. And multiple teammates had to uplift him. I've never had to deal with that or seen a player or a superstar player deal with that. Usually, you know, when they have a bad games, especially when you're on the contender team, you tend to bounce back because this is what you signed up for. And it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult situation, Rachel, but, you know, me personally, when I signed for $40 million in Oklahoma City, I was getting all type of heat from the media, from social media, uh, uh, about not producing number-wise, and, and, and I had to deal with it. Because my grandfather called me, he said, this is the career that you chose. This is what you signed up for. This is what comes with the territory. And yes, when you have off nights, social media, people are going to talk about you. There are going to be the same people like myself that are going to praise you when you do well. And you have to learn to cope with that. Now listen, I think it's way deeper than basketball. I honestly do. I think it's something that's going on with PG personally. That's just my personal assumptions. But at the end of the day, everyone in the bubble is going through a trying time. And no, everyone is built different. LeBron James said it. Hey, we're built for this, and I get it, right? But at the end of the day, all I'm saying is when you sign on that dotted line to become an NBA player, it's the good and it's the bad that comes with it, and you're under a microscope by the whole world. Perk, you still got people giving you stuff about your numbers on social media, including a teammate, an ex-teammate of yours. <laughs> um, look, I think it sends the right message to the general populace, and especially men in general, for Paul George, someone of his stature, of his ability, to talk so openly about anxiety and depression. We have decades and decades and decades of evidence from academic studies, money, fame, power, none of it inoculates you from those problems. And I think it's important, especially for men to be able to talk about them. 
But look, this is Paul George. Paul George is a boss. Paul George was going toe to toe with LeBron James in the playoffs when he was 22 years old. He was going to turn a corner eventually, whether it was game five, game six, or the next round, assuming the Clippers advance. Paul George, whatever he's going through, is still Paul George. And I think last night reminded everybody, yeah, once he gets right, this dude is, this dude is Paul George. He's a boss. Well, do, uh, you get extra points, by the way, because I heard you on your podcast a couple days ago talking about Paul George's struggles. And you said, yeah, he's probably going to come out tonight and score 35. And indeed, he scored 35. All right, Marcus 35. Morris. Um, he had an incident with Luka Doncic, as long as we're talking about last night's game. Morris stepped on Luka's ankle, which is, of course, a significant injury that Doncic is nursing. The Mavs have him listed now as questionable for Thursday's Game 6. There's some debate about whether this act was intentional. You at home can take a look at the footage. Decide for yourself. Morris denied that it was intentional. On Twitter, here is what he wrote. I played this game with a level of respect for myself and other players. To think I would try to injure someone is crazy to me. Ten years going against the best. I stand on morals and hard work. I compete and leave it out there every game. So, Zach, how do you expect the league to handle this when they look at the footage? Hey, look, if you can look at that footage and conclude that Marcus Morris did that on purpose, you are Sherlock Holmes. You're a better investigator than I am. I understand everybody wants to be angry about it. I understand that the Morris twins are tough and physical and that he did walk in a weird way toward Luka Doncic, but I don't see that as like obviously intentional. Um, and I would be very surprised if the league punishes him because that's a slippery slope. You start punishing people for stuff that you can't really tell is intentional or looks kind of normal and kind of not normal, you're all of a sudden going to be punishing players for lots and lots of things. I mean, I know everybody wants to be mad about everything, but I, I can't look at that and say it's blatant or obvious. Maybe I'm missing something. Zach, you might need to turn off your notifications on your social media because the Luka Doncic fans are going to be in your mentions today. So here's my thing about the whole situation. I see it 50-50, right? I could see what certain people say it could be intentional, especially Dallas Maverick fans or, or Luka Doncic fans. I could see, on the other hand, what people could say like Zach Lowe, and include myself, that I'm torn in between, that he didn't do it intentionally, and here's why. Marcus Morris has been picking up Luka 94 feet since game one, right? The Clippers were up 30 plus at the time that this incident happened. I didn't see clear-cut evidence that he did it intentionally. But on the other hand, this is how this works. Mark Cuban, Rick Carlisle, and the front office of the Dallas Maverick, I pre I'm pretty sure right now, are on the call with the NBA <laughs> sending in this footage. Mark Cuban is so to make shy and retiring, Perga. I can't imagine I would he would ever call the league office. That no, I would never call it, but I'm telling you this is how it worked, Rachel. Yes. A guy that was victim, a guy that I was, I, I, I went through so many of these, and this is how it worked. The league, that one team is going to call and say, hey, we need you to look into that. The league is going to call Mar uh, Morris Twin and say, get his side of it, and then they're going to investigate the situation. Now, if they do happen to say it is evidence and we're going to issue out a punishment to the NBA, it should not be a suspension. It should be a fine and move on if they say and decide that he should be punished. Fair. 
Yeah, look, it is complicated. To me, it's the body language after he stepped on the ankle. If you see, we've been running it through this whole segment. He kind of reaches for him to catch him, and he bends over. He looks like, wow, what just happened? That, to me, is relevant as well. And it's interesting, Christoph Porzingis, by the way, also questionable for the next game. And Rick Carlisle was just addressing the media. He said, I would like to be more optimistic than I am about KP. So it sounds like they won't have KP and might not have mm. Luca. We'll have to find out. We will keep you posted on whether there's any discipline for Marcus Morris as well. All right, coming up, is Jamal Murray turning into a superstar? That is what his coach said after last night's performance. Stick around. You're watching The Jump. Geico presents Monster Counseling. Dracula, tell me how you're feeling. No one understands how lonely it is. No one will even let me into their house. I knock and I knock, but they ignore me. Uh-huh. What else? I look in the mirror and <laughs> I don't even see myself anymore. If you don't see yourself clearly, can you really expect others to? I'm having a breakthrough. It's not easy to be a vampire. But with Geico, it's super easy to switch and save hundreds on your car insurance. Let's take a look at today's Dream Makers, brought to you by Sprite. The More Than a Boat initiative, spearheaded by LeBron James, includes a number of high-profile current and former athletes, including our own Kendrick Perkins on this show today. More Than a Vote has partnered with the Dodgers to make Dodger Stadium a polling place for the November general election, marking the first time a Major League Baseball team has offered its facility as a voting center. Kudos to all involved. I know that initiative and that group is far from done yet. Perk, I know you got more in store for us. We can't wait to see it all unfold. <laughs> Fun guy, what's up, baby? What it do, baby? <laughs> <laughs> make, miss. It's a make or miss league, baby. Let's see. That's it, baby. Bully ball. Luca throwing it ahead to Boban. Kawhi rips it out of his hands. Oh. Zach, this was incredible. And then, by the way, when they botched the next possession and Reggie couldn't really get it, Together, Kawhi's like, I didn't give you the ball for that. Didn't give up the ball for that. Is there anyone else in the NBA <laughs> who can do this move? Look at this. Hey, look. Boban's been hurting the Clippers, and we always are told pick on someone your own size. Well, Kawhi went a little bit better than that, so you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Perk, this was awesome. I mean, it, I mean, Rachel, they call him the claw for a reason. This is why Kawhi. He's been the best player in this series, and he's demanding respect. He's doing it on both ends. That's why they call him the claw. Absolutely. Miss balance. Nugs Jazz. End of the first quarter. Jokic jumps off the wrong foot, hoists up a runner, and it drops. Perka, is this a little Steve Nash for you? We're going to throw Nash up on the screen. What do you think? It is. And you know what? It's... It's more impressive when it's coming from a seven-footer, Rachel. Big Jokic is in his bag right now. Some of the things he do, I'm so jealous because I could never do in my career. But, yes, it is a little Steve Nash-like. <laughs> Steve Nash was one of the all-time great shooters. He had a million different trick shots. But Perk is right. For a seven-footer to do that, shout-out to the Sombor Shuffle. There you go. <laughs> Make theatrics. Luca gets in the paint. All right, watch this. The ball gets poked away, and Luca flails, and he gets the whistle. Now, Doc, he could not believe there was gambling in this establishment. Perk, <laughs> are you just as shocked that there's a whistle? 
No, I'm not shocked. Because Luca had been harping on the refs and getting on the refs the previous calls. And Luca is a crafty guy, and he reminds me of Kyle Lowry. So to me, if it, I feel like he just got the possession back, Rachel. Doc was wrong in this. Luca did not flop. <laughs> I'm not shocked. I admire the theatrics. You got a good, you got an arm flail, you got a head flail, you got an agonized look on the face. It's all there. Great job. Look, the fact that Doc has a player who earlier this season had one of the most dramatic flops fall down we've seen without anyone two feet from him doesn't get to be surprised. All right, miss rim protection. Donovan Mitchell crossing up Jokic finishes with the thunderous Ooh. jam over MPJ. Zach. Can the Nuggets stop this guy in game six? Uh, no, no. I mean, they can pray. They figured out some stuff in the fourth quarter last night. I thought their defense was finally on Better. point. They blitzed them a little bit. Jokic dropping back is not going to work, but I think their best strategy is pray. <laughs> right now, Rachel, this is what you call snatching the screws out of the rim, and it's in the clutch time. Donovan Mitchell has been playing phenomenal, and I said that he's auditioning for a Batman role for the Utah Jazz. Well, guess what? He passed the test thus far. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to stick with this Nuggets-Jazz game because it's been so fun to watch Donovan going up against Jamal Murray. And with the Nuggets facing elimination, Murray just stepped up for his team such a big way. 42 points, 33 in the second half. That is what's so key to me, extending the Nuggets season forcing a game six after the game Nuggets head coach Michael Malone said about Murray quote the young man is growing up and turning into a superstar on the biggest stage I couldn't be more proud of him now superstar should still mean something and maybe he's right Perk do you think that Murray is a superstar in these playoffs he is a rising superstar and he is a star right now in these playoffs the numbers that he has been putting up has been crazy. I just don't get what's up with Quinn Snyder and not double-teaming this guy. Like, get the ball out of his hands. You cannot stop him. He just dropped 50 on you in game uh, but the game before that, and then all of a sudden he goes on the tear, and you letting him play one-on-one, -on -one, trap the ball. Get it out of his hands. There are very few guys in the league who go nuclear like Jamal Murray. When he made that spinning airborne layup over Rudy mm. Gobert, I almost fell off my chair. But superstars, superstars, not just stars, superstars, they do it every single night. If they have a bad game here and there, it's because they shot badly and they make up for it with defense, rebounding, passing, something like that. Jamal Murray might be the most inconsistent player in the NBA. If he wants to be a superstar, he can't score 50 every night, but he's got to be an A, an a player every single night. He might also have to win a playoff series, right? Like in, in this playoffs, if you're talking about a, a superstar in this playoffs, and I know he's been on the team winning a playoff series last season, but I just mean that the idea of a superstar to me is a guy who, who pushes you over the edge, who wins it, so that if he leads this team mm. from behind and wins this series, he will get a little bit more of that moniker for me. He's such a talent, though. His work ethic is crazy. I am so excited to see him develop, and who knows? Maybe he's going to do it. We'll have to see how this plays out. All right, coming up, the Pacers fired Nate McMillan today. Was that fair? Boy, if you listen to everyone in the NBA this morning, we'll play some of that sound. They say no. We will discuss it. First, though, here's the latest edition of Jump at the Symphony. And indeed, it is starring Jamal Murray.
Does this place look haunted? No, I don't think so. What about those two creepy girls? Come stay with us. That is truly frightening. You know what's really scary? Missing out of Geico's great service. With Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents. Uh, thank you, creepy girls. Want to see our room? Mm, we're gonna sleep in the car now. Happy geico Week. Switch today for 24-7 access to licensed agents. Tonight on ESPN2 and the app, our next WNBA matchup has the Mystics taking on the Atlanta Dream at 7 o'clock Eastern. Tomorrow, we have three playoff games on ESPN, Deportes and the app, Nuggets-Jazz Game 6, 4 o'clock Eastern, followed by Game 1 of the Eastern Conference Semis between the Celtics and Raptors, and then Game 6 of Clippers-Mavericks. Welcome back to The Jump. I'm Rachel Nichols, still here with Zach Lowe, Kendrick Perkins, and guys, Earlier today, the Pacers fired Nate McMillan. This is after they were swept in the first round of the playoffs by the Heat. And by the way, just two weeks after they said they had reworked his contract for next season, giving him a soft extension. They basically added a team option for the season after that. Rockets coach Mike D'Antoni, who, by the way, still coaches Houston. He is in the final year of his deal, by the way. He is going to be a Pacers target should he come available, sources told Woj. So, Zach, a lot to unpack there. But I'm still confused about how they fired this man in the first place. Are they aware of what his available roster has been over the past two seasons? What a, what a business coaching is. Uh, you're extended, but it's kind of a fake extension. Then you're fired. Meanwhile, your replacement is coaching a pivotal game five in like two hours or a potential replacement. It's a crazy business. Look, it's fair, but it's fair and you better get it right because Nate McMillan is a really good coach. People play hard for him, and as you said, no Oladipo last year's playoffs, no Sabonis this year's playoffs. But I do think the Pacers can look at themselves and think, I think it's time to get someone in here to modernize our offense a little bit, more threes, more shots at the rim, just a little more juice. We've seen this movie play out in the playoffs a little bit, and it doesn't work. It's fair, because coaching is a hard business, but you better get it right, because if you don't get this right, you fired a good coach, and you're next on the chopping block. This is a tough one, and it, this was mind-boggling to me. Nate McMillan was could have been easily the coach of the year. Dealing with his injuries, right? Dealing with all the Pacers injuries and not having Vic the Oladipo for at least 70% of the season and finishing top five in the East, and you get fired and not having Sabonis down there? To me, yes, I know the front office make the decision, but this wasn't a front office firing. This has been probably blossoming and looming throughout from players. To me, this sounds like a player decision, a franchise mm. player decision where he's saying, hey, I don't want to play for this guy. Because mm. when you look at it and you're talking about a guy like Mike, Mike D'Antoni who comes in, what he let guys do, you look at this Rocket team, they play freely. They play record. Football, they, I mean basketball, they don't have structure, right? So when I'm looking at this firing, this is not really a front office. This seems like it's come from complaints of franchise players. That's interesting, Perk. Well, we haven't heard that specifically yet, but that stuff usually comes out eventually. And look, I don't know if Mike D'Antoni is going to be retained by Houston or not. And if he is, I don't know if the Pacers would be his first choice because 
if the you know if he goes, the Pacers aren't the only team that has an available seat. The Nets, the Bulls, the Sixers, the Pelicans, all among the franchises searching for a new head coach. And there's a lot of names getting thrown around. Which do you think, Perk, has the most desirable coaching vacancy? If you had your pick, what would you pick? The Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets. I would be sprinting to that job. You talking about <laughs> KD and Kyrie, two of the top ten players? Forget the off-the-court issues, whatever they have to deal with, whatever. When they get between those lines, them two guys are very, very good at playing the game of basketball. Arguably, one of them is the greatest basketball player when he's healthy in Kevin Durant. And so when I'm looking at this team, and if I'm a coach, I'm sprinting over there because the chances on the Nets are com of coming out of the East with a healthy KD, a healthy Kyrie, and you adding a Levert to that is very, very high. Give me the New Orleans Pelicans coaching job. I get Zion, and let's just be polite and say the Sixers situation is a little bit fraught. The Nets situation has been a little bit fraught and they're under a lot of pressure next year. The Bulls have been a complete train wreck for years now. The Pacers, it's too fresh, I can't consider yet. Let me go live in one of the greatest cities in America. Amen. Eat amazing food, coach one of the most interesting and important young players in the game and a lot of other good young players, by the way, under a little bit less pressure. Let me grow into the job. Give me the New Orleans job. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like the New Orleans job, there's less question marks, right? Even with the Nets job, I know you have two bona fide superstars, NBA champions, but there are a lot of question marks there. There's obviously a ton of question marks in Philly, ton of question marks in Indiana. I'm not even going to get into the Bulls. So I, I might lean toward the Pelicans job, although if you take the <laughs> Pelicans job and then you watch the Nets win a title the next year, you might have a little remorse. But there will be options for talented coaches. Ty Lue has been mentioned for several of those jobs because he is an extremely attractive candidate out there. We'll have to see how he answers that question. It's going to be interesting. All right, here's what The Jump recommends for today. This fantastic NBA writer we know. His name is Zach Lowe. He explains why James Harden versus Lou Dort is the best one-on-one -on -one battle in the playoffs right Dort. now. Head over mm. to ESPN, the app. You can read it during the break, and then you can hear Zach talk about it in the next segment. Houston OKC next. Does this place look haunted? No, I don't think so. What about those two creepy girls? Come stay with us. That is truly frightening. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's great service. With Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents. Uh, thank you, creepy girls. Want to see our room? Mm, we're gonna sleep in the car now. Happy Geico-ween. Switch today for 24-7 access to licensed agents. It's crunch time here on The Jump. Yesterday, Giannis was named the NBA Defensive Player of the Year. He won it in a landslide, receiving 75 first-place votes from a panel of 100 sports centers and sports centers, sports centers, sports writers, broadcasters, all of us. He got my vote. Anthony Davis came in second. Rudy Gobert finished third. Giannis's partner, Mariah, posted this amazing photo of their son watching his dad accept the award on TV. I loved this. Perk, I know you would have voted for Anthony Davis. I do. But does winning Defensive Player of the Year and potentially MVP put pressure on Giannis to cap this season with a ring? Rachel, I cannot believe you. I can't believe you. 
How? Ask Zach. How? Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis, defensive player of the year. But you know what? That's a whole nother topic. To answer your question, yes, it does put pressure on Giannis. He has to go out and deliver. I said that reaching the finals was the uh was the yeah. ultimate ceiling for him. But no, winning if he wins the MVP along with already winning a defensive player of the year, he has to deliver a championship because that's telling me that he's the best player in the NBA and he has to deliver. I agree with Perk. I don't think defensive player of the year alone does. Uh, I think he deserved the award, but that's not that's not what the question is about Giannis or the Bucks. It's not about that. Uh, but MVP, let's put it this way. You don't want to be the MVP who's home after the second round. You don't want to receive that award and go home in the second round or receive it from home, depending on when they're in. And and he's going to face a tough opponent assuming they get by. Bam out of bio is waiting, so get ready. <laughs> and Zach, you voted for Defensive Player of the Year? Giannis. Giannis, see, there we go. Blazers. Sorry, Perk. <laughs> Sorry, Perk. Blazers Lakers game five is tonight. Damian Lillard is officially out with a sprained knee, and Portland is facing elimination down 3 1. So, Zach, are you giving them even a puncher's chance tonight, the Blazers? Uh, no, I'm not <laughs> giving them a puncher's chance. I mean, they have to be a supernova on offense to have any chance to win these games. Their defense is bad, and I just don't think they can hit that level without Dame. So, no. Sorry. Me either, Rachel. No, absolutely not. They have a zero chance game tonight. <laughs> zero? Well, look, we will be clapping for them either way. Their performance in the bubble has been so impressive. All right, big news potentially from the Rockets. Absolutely. Woj reporting that Russell Westbrook is a game-time decision for today's Game 5 showdown against the Thunder. Perk, is it rest time with this series tied 2-2? It better be rust time or they might get sent home. Look, I said before the series that even with Russ, I thought this series would go six or seven games in Houston favor. Without Russ, Oklahoma City Thunder could win this series. So, Russ, it better be rust time tonight. Let's do it. There's only a couple of fun first round series going on. This is one of them. Russ brings the fun. Russ brings the pace. Russ brings angry faces and dunks, let's have it. Well, that's easy for all of us to say. If he could hurt himself more, I think they should hold him out, but we'll see. We know Russ, he wants to play. All right, I want to stick with that series. Preview tonight's Game 5 and Zach's latest piece up on ESPN.com highlights the one-on-one -on -one battle between a couple of former Arizona State Sun Devils, James Harden, Lou Dort. Dort Ooh. is an undrafted rookie, but he's been giving Harden all kinds of problems in this series. Zach, you love this matchup. Explain why. I, it's just James Harden has essentially no worthy adversaries going one-on-one. -on -one. There's like two guys in the league who can guard him. And all of a sudden, this totally unknown guy built like a fire hydrant is staying in front of him, blocking his shot in overtime. It's amazing to watch. And by the way, the Rockets have changed the way they play because of it. They're setting way more ball screens for Harden than they ever usually do because they want to get Dort off of him. Dort is, is a – look – He's got to make a he's got to make a couple shots here and there, but the guy is a monster defensive player, and it's just it's fun to watch James be challenged one on one. And Rachel, Zach, you talk about a guy being a star in his role. Doc is the prime example of that. Hey, you hey, don't have to score Kendrick, points. I'm going to stop you right rebounds. now. I'm so sorry, he's Kendrick. I'm going to stop you right now, real quick. Right I know we love talking about Lou Dort. Great job at um, that. 
Kendra, I'm going to stop you. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but the Bucks have not come out onto the court. We talked at the beginning of the show about a potential boycott. The Celtics Whoa. and Raptors talking about potentially boycotting their game tomorrow. Now, when people check with the Bucks this morning, they said that there weren't any current plans to boycott, but things change over a few hours. And as of right now, Milwaukee oh. has not come Ooh. out of its locker room for today's wow. game against the Magic. So we will obviously keep you updated on that throughout the day Ooh. on the network. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Really important issues that these players are dealing mm. with. NFL Live is next. Mom, I think this doll I found in the attic is cursed. No, its eyes are just very lifelike. Then why does its head keep spinning? Be my friend forever. Oh, that is scary. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's easy-to-use mobile app. You can manage your Geico policy whenever, wherever, wherever. Let's play with another doll. Or we can just bury it deep in the ground. Happy Geico-ween. Download the industry-leading Geico app today.